We may not live in Missouri, but we function by their state motto. I don't see Mike McGee out here, but does anyone else happen to know Missouri's state motto? The show me state. And we live in a show me world. We want to see the proof. We don't want to be those who are deceived, those who are taken advantage of, played for the fool. And that's a good thing. We shouldn't want to be led astray. We shouldn't want to be taken advantage of or used or manipulated. We should want to guard against those kinds of things. And so, naturally, we want to see the proof. We want, we want to feel it. We want to grasp it. We want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is certain and true. And so, we tend to act a little bit like Nathaniel. Every time a claim is made, we respond in skepticism. Philip came to Nathaniel and said, We have found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And what was his response? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from that place? How often don't we look around and think, can anything good come from that part of town? That part of the state? That part of the country? That political party? From those kinds of people? Or that part of the world? We respond in skepticism. We push back. We we don't want to be those who are taken advantage of or are deceived. But if you look back at the text, how does Philip respond to Nathan's skepticism? He doesn't try and win him over by logic or reason, by a, a clever argument. What is his response? Come, come and see. Come and see for yourself. It's here that that we get a little jealous of Nathaniel, especially when it comes to faith, because we know the rest of the stories of the gospel. We know what Jesus had done and what Nathaniel got to see and to hear, and we think, man, if only I had been there, faith would be so much easier. My purpose would be so much clearer. I'd know where to go. I'd know what to do. Everything would be easier. But that's not the case. Just think about a little bit further ahead in John's gospel in chapter 6. Jesus says he's the bread of life and that people must eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. And at that time, many said it was a hard teaching and walked away. Followed him no longer. How many of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests and the scribes saw his miracles, heard his teachings, saw the way he had compassion, And yet instead of following and believing, they cried out, crucify. They plotted his death. See, it's not just back then, though, either. How often today in our day and age, in our culture, haven't we seen facts plain as day, dismissed and ignored, labeled fake news? How often haven't we laid out the gospel as clearly as possible, only to have people dismiss it, ignore it, and turn the other way? How often, even in our own lives, are we quick to deceive ourselves? We see it in our culture all the time. We we dismiss the effects of sin and brokenness on our lives, on our thoughts, on our words, on our actions, on our hearts. We set up a standard that, that we don't even meet. 
and yet we dismiss it, deny it, ignore it, not to mention God's standard for our lives. We don't seem to follow these things. We don't want to be those who are deceived. Turning back to the text, Jesus, as he approaches Nathanael, sees him and says, Behold the true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. In whom there is no deceit. Here is a man who calls it like he sees it. A man who acts with integrity, who is honest. Jesus speaks of his character. But we dare not take this statement simply at face value, especially in light of this story. See, it should bring up for us images of Jacob, the the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, whose name literally meant deceiver. Jacob, who saw the heavens opened and the angels ascending and descending from the throne of God to earth. This story should bring up images of, of Jacob in our mind. You see, Jacob was known for his deception, for his cleverness. And it was only through struggling with God, wrestling with God, that his name was changed. As he came to see who God was, that he was changed from Jacob meaning deceiver to Israel, one who wrestles with God, one who has wrestled with the truth and now sees God. So when Jesus says, here is Nathaniel, true Israelite, in whom there is no deceit, he is saying, here's one who has wrestled with his own life wrestled with the truth of God, seen his own sin and his own brokenness, and yet now sees God, who is steadfast in mercy, compassionate, just, slow to anger and forgiving. See, that he is without deceit is not about Nathaniel being a good and upright man, but about how he sees his own life, his own sin, and his desperate need for God. See, Nathaniel is one who is honest about his sin and clings to God's graciousness. I like to say it in this way. See, Nathaniel knows or understands that his sin is far worse than he'd like to believe. But he knows that God's grace is greater than he could ever imagine. It covers all those things. And as we go back to the text and and see what happens next, Nathaniel says, Lord, how do you know me? She said, well, I saw you when you were under the the fig tree. And Nathaniel confesses, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And she says, do you believe because I said I saw you under the fig tree? I tell you the truth, you will see greater things than these. You will see heaven opened. And the, and the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And all of a sudden that envy creeps into us a little bit more once again. Oh great, not only did Nathaniel get to walk with Jesus and hear him teach and preach, he was going to see greater things that, than Moses and the prophets saw. He was going to see all these things. It's here in this text where English fails us. Or English lets us down. Because in verse 51, Jesus switches to the plural. And English doesn't have a good word for that. So he's switching to use in the plural. He's speaking to all the disciples, to all the people who would hear him, including you and me. I like to translate it with a little bit of a a Texas plural. 
All y'all will see heavens open. All y'all will see the glory of God. All y'all will see greater things than these. All y'all will see the angels ascending and descending upon Jesus Christ. All y'all will see these great and glorious things. All of you have seen God's glory in Christ. You are those in whom there is no deceit because you have seen by faith who Christ is. You have seen the truth. See, we, we've come to see by faith. We trust in the testimony that has been handed down to us and we see it in one another. Sometimes that, that makes us a little uncomfortable because, like I said at the beginning, we want to see, we want to have that tangible proof. But I have a question for you. I'm assuming that you don't doubt that Abraham Lincoln was president and existed, do you? If anyone does, maybe we should talk later. You can come by my office, but why, why don't you doubt this? I mean, you haven't seen him. You haven't met him. You haven't heard him. So why do you believe that, that he existed? It's simple. You trust in the account, the testimony of historians. That is to say you have faith that they were being honest and faithful in what they had said and written down. You believe Abraham Lincoln existed because you have seen the results of the Emancipation Proclamation, because you have seen and heard the Gettysburg Address, because you have, ex- you have read about it. You, you believe that it is a faithful and true account. See, sometimes believing isn't always seen, at least not with our eyes. We have to see by faith. We come to see God's glory through faith, through being brought into the church through this place. See, as we come and gather here, we encounter Christ, we see his glory in word, in sacrament, in one another. We see God's glory displayed. After all, earlier in in John chapter 1, it said, we have seen the glory of the Father through him who comes full of grace and truth from the Father through Jesus Christ. And Christ now dwells in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the heavens were ripped open and God's glory has shined on each and every one of us as we were baptized. As those same words that were spoken over Christ at his baptism, that Jesus was his beloved son with whom he was well pleased, is now spoken over you and me. God's glory is displayed in our lives. See, God's glory is displayed as we gather each week and we live as those in whom there is no deceit as we confess our sin and receive his forgiveness, admitting that our sin is worse than we'd like to believe, but that God's grace is greater than we could ever imagine. We are those who have come to see that truth. And so we cling by faith to God's promises displayed to us shown to us, seen in one another, in the countless generations of Christians, from the apostles through the church and generation to generation, passing down and and living out their faith for others to see God's grace on display. And today we, as Christians, we display God's glory, God's grace, by our words, by our lives, by our actions in the way we lift up and build up one another, in the way we speak encouraging words to those who are hurting, 
in the way we care for the marginalized, the, the widows, the orphans, those in prison, those on death row, the unborn, the homeless, those who are around us as we care for their needs. God's glory is displayed in our lives. People see heaven opened and they see Christ through us because he dwells in us. See, we, as Jesus says in Matthew, are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. God's glory is meant to shine through us. And so I want to leave you with this question that I have been wrestling with over the last year and a half, myself and Mary Rose. And instead of focusing on the spiritual practice, I'd like you to, to write this down and think about this question. If God's glory is meant to be displayed through us, do I have a life worth imitating? Is my faith worth imitating? In other words, when people look at you and me, not just on Sunday morning when we're in worship, do we have a life that reflects the glory of Christ as those in whom the Holy Spirit now dwells? Because we should be. Because that's how the world is going to see Christ. It's how they're going to be brought into faith. Not through arguments, not through rhetoric, but like Philip telling those around us to come and see the Savior we know. Come and see the Savior displayed in our lives. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Gracious Lord, Heavenly Father, we confess that that our sin is far worse than we'd like to believe, that sometimes our lives don't reflect your glory particularly well. But Lord, you have given us your Holy Spirit through baptism. You have forgiven us. Your grace is greater than we could ever imagine. We pray that you would continue to guide us into your character, to shape us into people who reflect your glory for the world to see so that they may know and may confess with Jesus, or with Philip, rather, and Nathaniel, that you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Amen. Please stand.